Today, we are at the headquarters of Logitech, speaking about the future of collaboration. Our guest is Steven Goldbach, the Chief Strategy Officer of Deloitte. He just wrote a new book called Detonate. What in the world are you detonating? <laughs> if you survey executives, everybody says the pace of technology, the pace of change is more rapid. But we don't see a lot of companies really taking decisive action in the face of it. We still have the same kinds of questions we always do, which is, well, what's going to be the return on that investment? Or how do we know that that's going to work if we do that? Those kinds of questions. And so we wanted to dig into what was the underlying insight around why, why do we see, on the one hand, this is super important, and then on the other hand, we don't see enough action. So the notion of detonation is what? If we want organizations to take steps to detonate practices that have not been, that are not particularly valuable, what we have to get right is all those incentive systems, those both explicit and implicit incentive systems that motivate people to behave in a risk-averse way. We wanted to give people a language system to be able to say, we shouldn't be doing some of these things, we should be doing it differently. And the thing that we tried to figure out what's getting in the way of these executives taking action against the things that everybody knows are, are, are silly or, or wastes of time um, was this concept that we coined in the book called Me Inc. And basically to explain Me Inc., you have to understand that every, every chief executive, every leader will say, well, what our objective is is to maximize shareholder value. But really what all the individuals running around an organization are making choices are to maximize their own Me Inc., right? their own personal value, whatever, because people want to be successful, but everyone defines that in some different way. And so if we want organizations to take steps to detonate practices that have not been, that are not particularly valuable, what we have to get right is all those incentive systems, those both explicit and implicit incentive systems that motivate people to behave in a risk-averse way. And the story we like to tell on that is, when you go back to your first day on the job, I guarantee you that everybody probably had some experience like this, where your boss sits you down and they say, when I was in your shoes, this is what I did to be successful. And if only you do these exact same things, you too can be successful. Those are best practices. Those are, well, those, that's the origins of best practice. Those are those stories that get told. Those are those stories that get told from generation to generation and become the orthodoxies of the organization. And when that same manager gets put to a really tough decision, they're going to say, well, what will my boss think of me if I make this tough call? Then I'm going to get rewarded implicitly. And so we, that's why it's so hard to break this vicious cycle. This creates a kind of organizational and cultural rigidity. Absolutely. The amazing thing that we see, Michael, in the, in the world is that when faced with disruptive forces, okay, and that are changing the nature of how customers are behaving today, what ends up happening is you put some offer into the world that's based on your long-standing orthodoxies, and customers reject that for some reason because there's a better, there's a better option. What ends up happening in the workplace is you examine the, you examine the post-mortem of that and you say, well, why didn't, it go, why didn't it go right? And then the boss's boss comes in and says, let me make sure that you executed it right. Let me make sure that you followed the playbook right as opposed to Maybe the playbook isn't the right playbook. And, we all, and what, what we find is that there's a 
increased rigidity in terms of believing that the playbook is right versus examining the, the wrong playbook. And as you keep playing that out, it gets into this vicious cycle where instead of questioning things that you've always done, you adhere to them more strongly. And that's what we're trying to detonate. What you're describing is kind of the forces of anti-innovation. What we wanted to do with Detonate was offer a new set of principles um, that, would, that would allow people not to replace the old playbook with a new playbook, but remind people of how it is that you should think about problems in general. One of the key things that you raise in the book is this concept of beginner's mind. What does that have to do with this idea of detonating preconceived notions? It's from Zen Buddhism. It's not something that we invented. We, we're just repurposing. There's a great quote in, in Suzuki's Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind, which says, in the beginner's mind, there are many possibilities. And in the expert's mind, there are few. So if you want to grow revenue, you have to get some customer's behavior to change in some way. Either they have to pay more for something they're buying from you already, they have to switch to your product from some competitors, or they have to enter a market that they're not currently in. You need to understand what it is that's going to drive that behavior. And if people are implicitly rewarded for doing things consistent with past practices, they're unlikely to change your behavior. If the world is moving really fast, don't be so wedded to things that you put in place today that might be only good for a couple years. All right, let's talk about collaboration. We're here at the, the kind of home of collaboration at Logitech. And so when we think about collaboration, what are some of the, shall we say, sacred cows or traditional ways of thinking that we need to detonate, that we need to blow up. I think collaboration is generally viewed as an unassailable good, right? Like it's, a, it's, a, it's an objective in and by itself, whereas I think as you, as you asked me to think about applying the principles, I would say collaboration is a tool to achieve some other objective, right? It's not, it, we, it, certainly it's nice to have human interaction. That's a, that, that in fact is a good, but in, insofar as it's about business collaboration, it's about some higher purpose, either because you, we see that there's evidence of when you collaborate, you get better, qual higher quality ideas, but then there's also evidence that there's some dangers of collaboration where if you don't have a, a good, diverse, uh, a cognitively diverse group, you might have, you know, groupthink come from that collaboration. Or collaboration is good, but we also live in a world of increasing distraction and interruption. And so the, the, we're implicitly motivating people to be collaborative, but people interpret that to mean I've got to respond to you within two minutes of your email, which is a distraction. And so I go back to the first principles of, of what is it that we're trying to achieve with collaboration? Is it it's higher quality ideas? It's more buy-in to the ideas so that when we go and execute them, we choose to make a choice, we don't come back and rethink it. So those would be some of the first principles about why, and then we can think about, okay, so how can we drive higher quality collaboration as a result? And I think that's really the key. Uh, you, you've just describe some of the dysfunctional elements of collaboration that feeling, well, we have to respond instantly or we're not being collaborative. So how can we drive the positive aspects of collaboration? And really, what are the positive? What's the positive side? The positive side is higher quality ideas, and that stems from a couple different things. Human beings have this awfully funny habit 
you know, that if they weren't involved in creating something, they seem to be pretty good because they take, they take ownership of it. So that, that is one of the benefits of collaboration. But at the same time, we've got to, we've got to watch for what we're creating as a, as a byproduct. What about collaboration tools? We use video conferencing, we use Skype and other virtual audio conferencing tools. What's the role of that in collaboration? Let's take the most basic collaboration tool, email, right? Which has, of course, been around you know, forever. But what does that create? Does it create a culture where if I don't respond to you immediately, I'm somehow not doing my job? And when you see that flash in your inbox, your, 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 your primitive brain is immediately drawn to it right like it like you were on the savanna like in seeing potentially a lion you can't help it you're distracted and then all you're thinking about is what might i say instead of what you were doing before and so we've got to be able to use collaboration tools for good and not for distraction and so part of what i think the organization's cultures need to need to promote is sometimes it's okay not to respond right away and sometimes we want that sometimes we want people in their productive cave and sometimes we and we want to teach people not to necessarily respond and sometimes it's about our leaders promoting that behavior and demonstrating it themselves so that would be a that would be one of the byproducts we want to avoid um, it might make sense to talk about some of the, the benefits though the simple act of video I will just say is a massive improvement to get people to pay attention if people can see that you're not paying attention and you know that you're somehow on the hook for being present in a meeting. That's very clever. Video is just, video is like that one thing. And it's something that I've been, at least with my team, saying, look, we've got this capability. We all sit with, we all sit with, you know, these devices, you know, that enable it. We've all sit with great, you know, technology like the, like the ones that Logitech creates that, that we can leverage. It would make it so much better if we're going to have the meeting, let's at least make it a productive meeting. And video, I think, is a very simple, very simple way to get people to engage a little bit differently. So if we apply these tools in simple ways, but thinking how, how they can drive attention and drive productivity, then we can really shift. We can add value, the, the tools themselves can add value beyond them being communication devices, for example. It goes back to what's the human behavior that you're trying to promote. Collaboration at the end of the day is about, as I said before, better ideas and greater alignment. And that's the objective that we wanna, that we wanna drive. It's not because we wanna get more opinions, which is what meetings are often about. It's about better ideas and better ideas come with better engagement. And so using those collaborative tools, we have to be careful. There's a lot of collaborative tools which are about getting too much engage too much engagement and oftentimes you know there's there's tools that we'll use that will be about you know getting everyone's you know uh, wikiing a a single document and sometimes creativity is best come from having someone do the whole versus letting someone do what we in the strategy business we often call the Christmas tree strategy where everyone gets to hang their ornament on a particular strategy that doesn't tend to work well so you've got to Use it, use it for the objective and not as the objective itself. And what about culture? Let's talk about culture because that seems uh, really intertwined with all of this. Uh, look, culture is nothing more than the sum of, at least my definition of culture, the sum of all the behaviors that you have in an organization, right? That's your culture. 
and you get your culture based on how it is that you drive and promote those behaviors, whether it's the rewards, both implicit or explicit that you have, the questions that your, your boss asks of you, or the way that the human beings interact. So collaboration is gonna have, is gonna be both influenced by and influence in turn the, you know, the, the, the overall culture of an organization. So if your culture, if your organization culture is, if my boss sends me an email, I need to respond within two minutes or I need to stop a meeting to say, oh, sorry, hang on a second, my boss is IMing me, I'm going to, I need to stop everything and respond, then that's gonna set the culture of that's how you deal with things. If you've got an organization culture where you say time is, time is uh, scarce and time together is even scarcer and we're gonna make the best use of that time, then you could create a different culture which to some extent rejects the immediacy of it. And you've gotta figure out what's the right balance. How do you, how do you, uh, you, know, how do you drive what tends to be right for your organization? What are some of the lessons a company can learn from from this kind of analysis? If I were to speak from the point of view of an organization that thrives on collaboration, you know, we have hundreds of thousands of people around the world at Deloitte, and, and we're a very project-centered uh, workforce where we've got people working on particular projects. They're spread around the world. Collaboration is critical, is critical to our organization. And so we would want to have collaboration tools that allow for are, are people to be able to make choices that help weave work into their, into their human lives into a way that's not disruptive. And so the ability to shut things off, the ability to be, uh, to be present, the ability to have that do not disturb and be productive in some way, I think is an important aspect of collaboration tools that respects the, the boundaries or at least creates, creates it as a an important mechanism to how you might work because I think the companies that get collaboration right will figure out a way to strike that balance. If you think about the last 25 years, we migrated from a world where people predominantly worked themselves and then came together to collaborate to one where now it's like always on. And I think the most productive leaders have figured out a way to migrate from the always on to the on when necessary and then in other, I'm in other modes when I, can be, when I can be creative. And so the tools need to support that direction where I think collaboration is heading. We talk a lot about work-life balance, and it seems from what you're saying that the best collaboration tools enable us to take control over that balance so that we're on when we want to be on and we're off when we choose to be off. Just because I'm you know, sending email at 5 a.m. doesn't mean I expect my people to want to wake up and deal with everything. And so I don't have a, I didn't have a, you know, there are tools that you can figure out a way to, you know, share and send. But imagine a world where I could send something when I want it to be sent, mark it as, to some extent, urgent, time sensitive, not time sensitive. And then it would arrive in a moment where I knew the other person was ready to receive it rather than arrive when I sent it or rather than arrive even at my designated time, there would be some tool that might allow, that might allow the, the, the people who are deciding when they want to be on and off to get there and that message would arrive at, some, at the right time. And that's the kind of collaboration that might allow um, people to feel like they can be productive when they need to be productive, but they're not missing something. And with great simplicity. Simplicity is always something that 
you, everybody strives for, but usually have to drive through a mountain of complexity to get to the simple. Let's talk about metrics. And so when we talk about collaboration and we talk about culture, can we even talk about metrics in a meaningful way? Because these are, these are soft targets. Oftentimes we've promoted collaboration in the past by saying, have you gotten so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so's perspective on the, following, on the following problem? And it's not collaboration, it's buy-in, right? And so if you want to drive better collaboration, you know, the, me the way that I wouldn't measure it necessarily in that, in that, in that I'm going to try to measure the degree to which you collaborate, but rather measure the, measure the outcome. And if you can show that collaboration leads to better outcomes and give people a a vision of what good looks like, and then measure the outcomes. People will choose to have, choose to follow the collaborative path. But I think the way that you infuse it into it is to say, we're going to reward better outcomes. Better outcomes are driven by high quality collaboration. Teach people what that means, be clear about it, and reinforce that message, and make sure that that's clear and then measure the outcomes. And people wanting to create that better quality outcome and because they're measured it, will lead to make choices that are more collaborative. That would be the way I'd try to. But how do you establish the linkage between uh, the right type of collaboration and positive outcomes? This is where I would make a minimally viable move and start to test it. So create a, you know, create, if you've got a hypothesis for what higher quality collaboration looks like relative to what exists in your workforce today or what exists in, in society today, try it out and then if and when it's successful, then tell, then tell people about it. It's amazing how when something's successful, people want to say, I need some of that. And so we call that a demonstration, you know, make a demonstration project of it, creating demand for that mode of working. And people tend to respond to that kind of stimulus. And so if that did lead to higher quality outcomes, then you would, that's how I would try and reinforce it. I suppose what we can do is we can say, okay, how many minutes are people spending in video conferences? Or you know, we can track their email usage. But that doesn't really serve any purpose. I think that's the dangerous side of collaboration. I think you're not measuring, you're, you're not, you're measuring the quantity. And if we think about the byproduct, the, the byproduct that we see today with distraction, with, um, with the modes of collaboration that require people to be always on and, and, and the things that we want to avoid, then that kind of measurement would lead to that behavior. To some extent, the, I would say we have implicitly created metrics that response time is somehow important, right? So uh, we, we don't measure that, but when people think about is so-and-so a good employee, Oftentimes, if they're highly responsive to you, you tend to perceive them as, as higher quality, as opposed to saying, did they come up with great products? Did they come up with great, did they come up with great outcomes? If we can move away from that, then that might, that might help. But I would be very careful on the, on the quantity-based metrics. I would, that's why I would, look at, I would look at outcomes and try to draw the linkage. So you have to do test cases. Okay, another dimension of collaboration in the workplace are things like uh, remote working and flex time. And so let's turn our attention to those kind of topics. Yeah, so I think the next, I think one of the great battles that companies of the 21st century will have is going to be the battle for talent. It's not going to be 
what you know. It's going to be that your your core capabilities, your ability to think, um, your ability to empath uh, to be empathetic with customers and their needs, and your ability to codify that into some sort of product is going to be what people what people are competing on in the future. So companies who are looking to employ you know, highly productive people who can think about problems need to give them the option to make their life work for them at home. And these kinds of collaboration tools are going to be critical to do that. To, and it also might allow for people to be productive and have think time. I mean, the nice thing about not being in the office is that you can turn stuff off and, and, and think about things that require some individual think time. So I think that that's going to be the next battle for that's going to be the next battle for, for talent, is being able to enable that customization of, of one's schedule. There are key implications for, for acquiring talent and retaining the best people. Yeah, I, I mean, I think if you believe that people want to have more control over their lives, which seems like, you know, the, I, I don't imagine there's a set of people who want to have less control over their lives. So the more control you can give them to, do the, to make the trade-offs that we all make implicitly, which is I need to do, I, I want to be successful at work and I want to be successful at home in some way, shape or form, whatever that means for that person, then giving people the tools to do that without making the trade-off is going to be the things that the successful companies are able to attract, uh, the most talented people are able, to, are able to offer in the future. Let's talk briefly about productivity. Because you've productivity has kind of been you've been implying productivity and talking about it through this discussion. So how do we rethink our relationship to productivity? I think one of the things we have to do is get out of a narrow definition of productivity, which is which tends to be very task oriented, right? We and even in the even in the in the white collar set of jobs, we tend to you know get, have a very narrow definition of what's productive means. It means doing this narrowly defined task over and over again. And that doesn't tend to stimulate people. They tend to respond to new challenges. And so I think we have to have a broad sense of productivity that goes back to you know, the objectives that we're trying to win in the marketplace. What are we trying to do to customers? What are we trying to, how are we delighting them? What are we trying to accomplish? And productivity should be measured in terms of those kinds of outcomes in the external world, I think the more that we can avoid outcomes that are about did you finish a task that aren't linked that aren't explicitly linked to some outcome in the in the real world, I think we'll have a better we'll have a better sense. And again, you know, part of it is just you know making sure we're doing the things that we're doing the things that uh, promote some sort of winning in the external world, and not doing things because they're the way we've always done it in the. In the, in the business world. So the reference point of productivity is how are we doing relative to the, to the clear goals that we've established? Absolutely, and part of that, part of that uh, goal has gotta be, it's, you've gotta take out the internal orientation and you've gotta really have, your, have yourself unwaveringly focused on, on your customer. Let's finish up with a glimpse into the future of collaboration. Uh, I think we're heading. We're going to head to a world where, if again, going back to the root, the root causes, what's going on? We've got more tools that enable uh, collaboration. We've got a, despite some of the things that we're seeing in the in the political economy, I think the 
the the globality of the of the of the world is not we're not going to get less global it's going to be about the pace that we we go there so we're going to have to figure out we're going to have to figure out ways to collaborate across time zones to collaborate across flexible schedules and the companies who figure that out who figure out the right balance of collaboration as a tool to enable more uh, better ideas and and more alignment are going to be the ones that make the difference that allow their their people to be happy they to do the things they need to do at the times that they need to do it in a flexible and predictable way and i think that the tools need to be able to enable that and not just promote this you know always on and like collaborative it's like collaboration you know under the heat lamp and now we've got to figure out a way to 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 draw that back a bit at a company like Deloitte, would it be fair to say that collaboration and how you collaborate is a strategic and a competitive advantage? I would say that collaboration, if we're not good at it, we are going to we are going to fail. We have too many people, we have too even we have too many partners that are each individually serving our clients, serving what they do, and when we're at our best, it's when we bring the breadth of what we have to be able to solve our clients' most pressing problems, and, and that's going to require collaboration. So for me, I think of it as, you know, whether it whether we're able to create it as a competitive advantage or, or not. I think about it as an imperative. If we don't do it, we will fail, and because there's no one person at Deloitte that can solve the complicated challenges that, that our clients face today, and so by definition, to 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 uh, to achieve our mission, we need to we need to be able to collaborate because we're going to get better ideas. We're going we're just going to get higher quality ideas. The more diverse of a workforce that we can we can have, the more diverse ways of thinking, the more that we can f infuse a beginner's mind, the better quality ideas, and that's going to help our clients uh, transform their their organizations. Okay, Steve Goldbach, Chief Strategy Officer at Deloitte. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Michael.